everybody. It's Monday, July 5th, and that means it's time for another episode of Chatting with Agnes and Cecilia Nonprofit Conversations. It's also Independence Day observed in the United States when we look back at the War of Independence and realize that our longtime relationship with the UK could continue even though we had to go our own way. I'm here today with my co-host and friend, Agnes, and I'm going to throw it over to Agnes to say hello. Thank you, Cecilia. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to our global audience. My name is Agnes Amos Coleman. I'm an author and a consultant. Over to you, Cecilia. Great. Thank you, Agnes. And we're here today with one of our favorite and most frequent guests, Michael Butera of Association Vision. Hi, Michael. Would you like to introduce yourself and say hello? Well, hello first to uh, Agnes and to Cecilia and to our friends uh, around the globe. Uh, it's my pleasure to be with you today, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Great. Thanks, Michael. And today we are talking about mergers and acquisitions within the nonprofit community. Uh, mergers and acquisitions are two very different things, though, aren't they, Michael? They really are, you know, and it's probably good for us to put a little bit of definition around them. Uh, so a merger, you know, essentially is two or more entities uh, that form one. It's pretty simple. An acquisition, on the other hand, is where one entity usually purchases or acquires, as you would, uh, either one or other interest. So today, you know, if we have an opportunity, we might touch on the acquisition thing. But for the most part, I hope we get an opportunity to talk about mergers in our sector. I think that's a great uh, topic to have because as we're starting to slowly come out of the lockdown regulations and guidelines and rules, uh, we're starting to see people start to interact more. But I think we might also see more happen that we thought might happen last year, which is mergers of smaller associations coming together so that they can both survive. Mm -hmm. As we all know, there's a lot of smaller subspecialty associations within professions and industries. So Michael, what are some of the benefits of a merger for two associations? Well, let, let's, let's run through some of those together. Obviously, there's some on the financial side. For example, there's economies of scale. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody doesn't have to do the same thing. And so you have the opportunity to bring that together. Another one is a, a, a growth piece relative to your market. If you have the market so segmented out, you know, take uh, education associations. Well, you could have uh, social studies and history and civics. They're all separate associations. But in the end, you know, aren't they able to really work on one piece? So there is the opportunity for a growth potential and for a new look at the market share. Mm -hmm. Another area, of course, is your ability to distribute uh, your content, your, which is fundamental to the association world. Uh, and their new distribution systems, which can also be broadened up. Uh, there are employee interests and talent interests. You know, sometimes when we talk about employment, we don't talk about talent. Well, mm -hmm. one association may have more talent than another association in a particular area. So there's a benefit that comes there. And of course, there's this whole issue of technology today. The world has uh, dramatically altered and you know, everybody's buying their own technology and, you know, whether or not that's a good idea, you know, it's not necessarily <laughs> strategic. So those are some of the immediate benefits that come uh, from merger, uh, merger or acquisition elements. Sure. So Agnes, what are your thoughts on this topic? I have a question for you, Mike, and that is for our association community who are 
considering this as a strategic way of growing the business, what are the key questions uh, they really need to ask their strategic planning team on how to move forward with this? Because obviously this is something that needs to be thought through uh, and it'd be interesting just to hear your take on that. Well, thank you. Uh, well, you know, uh, there's a great quote from Mahatma Gandhi, I think that we ought to think about here. And it's really a pretty simple one. Mm. The future depends on what we do in the present. Mm. And so we have to think about, we have to think about, as you say, the questions that are appropriate. From my perspective, I have this kind of five-phased view of how acquisitions and mergers actually occur. Mm -hmm. So to get to your specific thing about what are the right questions, the first part of any merger is what I refer to as the pre-formalization stage. Or this might be, uh, you know, the dance and dating stage, if you would. And uh, that means this is where we're going to build confidence in one another. So yes. what are the questions you're going to ask each other? Well, what do you really do? Hmm. Why do you really exist? You know, everybody wants to get to the what's in the house before they ask the why. Why does each organization exist? Do you really exist for the same stakeholders? You know, who are your, who are your significant players inside your organization? And, uh, you know, can we, can we work together? Is there a way to practice that in advance of formalizing these, uh, these kind of uh, sessions? Hmm. And then there's the whole idea of, uh, you know, uh, a target analysis. Now, in the private sector, target analysis means, you know, who is it out there that best fits, uh, that makes me grow? Well, mm. there's a lot of that same thing in the association world, except we have a hard time talking about it that way. It's like, we, you know, we almost can't use the word customer when we talk about our members and our stakeholders. We have to talk about members or stakeholders. But in effect, you know, they're customers, just like they are in the private. So who are our members? You know, mm. who are our stakeholders? Are they the same? All these kinds of things come up before you get to the part where all the attorneys come in and make it more complicated than it has to be. Hmm. Interesting. You know, another thought that just came to mind, once you get into this uh, mergers discussion, or if you formalize it and the attorneys get involved, is there an exit strategy or once you're married, you're married? <laughs> you know, I think that's an excellent point you just made. Because the answer is most merger agreements should have an exit provision. What happens if this doesn't work? Mm -hmm. And uh, some of them that I've been involved in actually have that already uh, already put into in practice. Um, so, for example, when I was working with the National Education Association, we were able to merge many of our state units. New York mm. was a merged unit between the NEA and the AFT, and they were able to do it in Florida and Minnesota. I could go on and on about that. But when it came to the nationals, the two national organizations, the NEA and the AFT, mm -hmm. because of the failure to ask those important questions and to build this confidence with each other's stakeholders, they mm. were unable to merge at the national level. So they had it exit out, you know, uh, and they did it actually very responsibly. So, yes, you should, uh, you know, part of the part of the whole apparatus is if it doesn't work, what? Mm. And uh, it's it's perfectly appropriate to do. It happens all the time. In fact, again, in the private sector, you see this, you know, you see of an announcement where they're going to purchase X. 
where mm-hmm. two organizations are going to merge and it's going to take two years and then 18 months done, you understand they all broke up, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, we, you know, <laughs> the, the marriage thing is a little bit more difficult. You know, I think, you know, that, that, that that's a contract of a different type. <laughs> right. You know, and you, and you both made me start thinking about Gwyneth Paltrow and her adventures in decoupling <laughs> when she ended her marriage. But uh, this actually brings to mind, I think, if you're in the nonprofit community, mm-hmm. uh, you, we probably all remember ASAE, a large national organization, merged with a regional organization called the Greater Washington Society of Association Executives. And at first, we all thought it was a great idea. But there, there were glitches, of course, as there always are. But one of the things, and the reason this came up, Michael, is you mentioned talent management. Mm-hmm. You know, because one organi- people have different talent on their staffs. And what ended up happening in the merger is for at least three years, there were two of everybody. So there were two directors of membership. There were two directors of research, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some of the ways, or I don't know, Michael, maybe just some good tips for how do you do the talent management part? Because if two membership associations merge, you are going to have two membership directors, most likely. So mm-hmm. what's the best way to work all that out? Well, let, let's talk about two parts of it. Staff is one of them, and the other one is governance. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's talk about the due diligence for a few moments, that we had, which is phase two of, the, of this thing. So the due diligence uh, would be, for example, if we have people that are both talented, let's use the one that you already said in the membership development. Maybe mm-hmm. someone will be responsible for membership development. And maybe another person is more suited to um, uh, membership uh, uh, in terms of the, the maintenance, the mm-hmm. retaining thereof. And so you can divide those roles. On the other hand, there should be you know, an open mind here that maybe everybody's not necessary either. So usually in these mergers, there's some period of time where, where everybody experiments with that for a mm-hmm. little bit of time. And often uh, or, uh, associations have uh, bought outsourcing uh, assistance to the people who are no longer going to be employed. So it, it, it requires uh, a level of openness in, in this whole issue of talent. Then, you know, we just talked an example of staff. Think of it on the governance side. Well, you probably had two chairmen of the board and you probably mm-hmm. have two boards and you probably have umpteen committees that everybody's at. You have traditions of all kinds that have existed. Those same things have to be dealt with. That's why mergers aren't something with a light switch. You don't yes. turn it on on day one. You announce it, you nurture it, you have your plan, you have your integration strategy and alike. And as you progress, you know, you're going to have to make some modifications in all of that. Uh, the governance one actually turns out to be a lot more difficult than the staffing one. Because yeah. the staffing one, you know, you have defined talent areas that you need. Where in the governance side, you know, people have been elected. And, you know, what does that mean? And mm-hmm. some, some elections are really not elections because they know tons of stuff but rather because they've served their institution for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how you know, if you had two boards, both had 15 people on them, you could have a 30 person board. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's crazy. So all those pieces 
you know, have to be worked out as well. So the part of the due diligence then is that role identification, mm-hmm. who's going to do what and when, and, uh, you know, do their documents actually uh, match their rhetoric? Mm-hmm. So, what I mean, you know, you can look at their 990s, you know, does the money really say what the money really says? Right. That's uh, you know, and there are other, you know, state filings, depending upon what states they were incorporated in and so forth and so on. So that's all part of the due diligence uh, phase two, as I, as I view it. Well, and, and Michael, we have about three minutes left for the other three areas. Well, then let's, let's do them real quick. <laughs> yeah, so let's them <laughs> so uh, the third phase, of course, is uh, uh, valuation understanding. And simply mm-hmm. put, you know, that's the enhanced value that uh, a merger or an acquisition brings. If mm-hmm. it doesn't enhance the value to the stakeholders, then, you know, that's a part of the exit as Agnes, let's, let's stop now. Let's don't go. Mm-hmm. And then of course, there's the formal negotiations phase four. And that's the one where you are going to need attorneys for this, you know, the banking mm-hmm. resolutions, property. Mm-hmm. What if you had pension systems for two different staffs or 401k plans that were sponsored or member benefit programs, mm-hmm. or you have long-term agreements for, uh, you know, um, conferences that you were going to hold and so forth and so on. All those things uh, have to pass as well. And finally, uh, which is phase five, I call that the integration period. And that's where, you know, we decide which programs are going to be sustained, which programs are going to go and so forth and so on. So, you know, it's a short period of time we have together here, you know, uh, but uh, uh, let me end with saying this to you, you know, uh, Abraham Lincoln's quoted as having said, the best thing about the future is that it comes one day at a time. And that's, <laughs> and that's one of the things you have to look at in these merger things one day at a time because they don't work like i said you know phase one two three mm-hmm. four five these are all interrelated elements so of course but they're the five to areas to keep in mind yes and, oh yeah absolutely absolutely right. and michael thank you that is a great outline and a great way to consider it um it sounds to me like acquisitions might be easier <laughs> we'll have to do that on another episode because you just come in and take it uh but yes. agnes any closing thoughts no i just want to appreciate uh michael for sharing his perspective it surely is a very complex process and it's not something to be taken lightly. You got to do your due diligence. It's been it's been said. So, thank you for sharing that perspective with our global audience, Michael. Well, my pleasure, and a happy holiday to everybody that's celebrating today. Great, thank you. Yes, thanks, Michael. And uh, want to thank Michael Butera again, our guest from Association Activision. Uh, he's also an expert partner uh, with Rogue Tulips. So, uh, Michael, what's the best way to get in touch with you if somebody wanted to ask you more questions? Uh, the easiest thing is just to email me. It's Michael B at associationactivision.com. Happy to speak to anyone. Great. Thank you, Michael. And on behalf of myself and Agnes, thank you all for listening or watching, depending on if you're on the audio podcast or the video podcast. Uh, if you want to learn more about Rogue Tulips or work with us, uh, you can visit us online at roguetulips.com. We also encourage you to check out the 501C League, which is an online organization for everybody in the nonprofit community and the people who love them. You can find out more at the 501Cleague.net and you can see our spiffy new website. So until next time, uh, we're signing off for this week. We're going to go rogue and we'll be back next time with another exciting episode.